to pick up on over these two weeks we're talking just kicking off the year talking about uh, what we've called a partnership for success and John was talking about the big picture last week and uh, this morning we're going to be considering how we play our part playing our part and so I'm going to read some verses from the book of Philippians it's a letter written by Paul to a church in Macedonia a church called Philippi And uh, this is what he writes. The words will come up behind me on the screen. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So last week... John unpacked uh, why the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, now is God's key agent on earth. God's great plan is to bring people from every tribe, people and language into his presence. That's what it tells us in the book of Revelation. God loves people. More than this, God is love. He doesn't just love people, God is love. He's the very essence of love. Love, God is love. And more than this, his desire is that none should perish and that all should come to know him. And so he invites people like us, those who live without reference to their creator. He invites us to come into his holy presence through his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. I was uh, visiting my Auntie uh, Iris. My Auntie Iris is 85. She's uh, uh, one of the survivors, surviving sisters of my father. My dad died back in the 80s. And uh, my dad went to Bible college. Uh, He did his national service, went to Bible college, and he dropped out. Now, I never saw my dad go to church, but my, uh, my Auntie Iris has had prayed for him for years. She longed for him to come back and expected him and was praying that he would come back to God. And she, we, we never saw uh, any physical change of that, although I believe that God was still at work in my dad's life, even though he'd backslidden so far. And um, she had many things. She's kept many things of his, many things of his, over the years, just in the hope uh, and the, that he would come out. And she's given loads of them to me. And when I was with her just before Christmas, she gave me something called this. It's called The Plan. And uh, it was something that they gave out to the armed forces, soldiers in the armed forces. It's called The Plan. And it's about God's great plan for salvation. This is probably somewhere in the region of 50, 60 years old now. And it sat on her shelf for many years. But it's about God's plan to reach men and women, just what John was talking about last week. 
And uh, I've been reading this week about how we can play our part in this plan, how we uh, can do that. And I've been reading about a couple of people. I've been reading about a young girl called Amelia. Now, Amelia was 13, but she played a huge part in God's greater cosmic plan to save men and women. And Amelia is a 13-year-old girl, her older brother who was 17, and uh, she, she was a believer. She'd come to know Jesus Christ for herself, and uh, she was desperate for her brother to do the same. And so she determined to pray for her brother, her, this 13-year-old girl. She wrote it in a diary, and it was, uh, it was seen by the brother later. And she prayed for him. She said, I won't give up praying until he becomes a Christian. And her mother actually was called Amelia as well. And she committed herself as someone, probably a lady in her late 40s, early 50s, to pray for her son. Both of them praying for their, for their son, their brother, to come to faith in Christ. And several weeks later, this young man came to Christ. His name was Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, who had such a huge impact in taking the good news about Jesus into China. And in 1895, as a result of Hudson Taylor's work, there were more than 640 missionaries working in China with many thousands of people having come to Christ. Everybody has heard of Hudson Taylor. Very few people have heard of his sister, Amelia, a 13-year-old girl who committed to pray for her brother to come to faith. Another, probably lots of you will have heard of this person, but a person called Albert, Albert McMakin. He was 24, he was a farm worker, and he'd just become a Christian. He was so excited about it, and he wanted to take people as, uh, along, young people that he knew, along to hear uh, the, the message that he'd heard. And, and so there was one lad in particular that he wanted to take, but he wouldn't come. So he, uh, endeavored to, uh, he endeavored to find a way to get him to the meetings. And so what he said was, look, I've got this truck. Will you drive the truck for us? Just thought, if I get him to drive the truck, at least he's there. And so Albert McMakin got, so he got this young man to drive the truck. And as uh, he parked the truck, the, the, the lad who drove it, actually eventually started going into the meetings. And in the end of a few days, perhaps the end of the week, he himself came to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. His name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham has preached to more than 220 million people. He has been a close advisor to more than nine U.S. presidents. Everyone's heard of Billy Graham. No one has heard of Albert McMakin. You have a part to play in God's great plan. You see, everyone, every one of us who comes through Christ is part of God's people, the church. We're part of what God is wanting to do on the earth today. And across the world, there are millions of local churches. And in Winchester, there are more churches than you can shake a stick at. It's a great phrase, that, isn't it? I love it. More churches than you can shake a stick at. But the, the thing is this. Local churches easily become self-focused and lose sight of God's big picture. 
And that's evident sometimes in our praying, in our giving, our attitudes to the news. Sometimes we're too self-focused. We become very inward-focused and we lose sight of uh, uh, God's great plan. And that's why Jesus has gifted certain people to help churches like us. And John last week touched on, on how uh, uh, what we call apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers, working teams serving local churches across regions to help them be more fruitful for God. And it's why we as a church belong to a family of more than 100 churches across the UK, India, and the Iberian Peninsula. And that's something called Commission, a family of churches called Commission. For us, that's being part of God's partnership for success. And this morning, we're going to look about how we can play our part. And I want to draw out three ways... Uh, that we can do this from looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, we're not going to read the whole letter, so I'm going to dip in and out of it. And I want to encourage you maybe to go away and read it for yourself when you get some time. And these are the three ways that we can, uh, we can play our part. The first is living out the gospel. The second is partnering in the gospel. And finally, declaring the gospel. But before we unpack what that actually means, we really need to be clear on what the gospel means. You see, I think sometimes we miss it. We think being a Christian is doing what Jesus did. We think that is what the gospel is. The gospel is us doing what Jesus did, following his example. I want to tell you that is not the gospel. That, may have a, that is a part of God's big plan for us, to follow Jesus' example. But that is not the gospel. It's not principally what Jesus teaches. You see, it's not about what Jesus teaches. It's, it's about what he has done for us. That is the gospel. You see, it's nothing to do with how we behave. It's not to do with our performance It's about what he has done on our behalf. That is the gospel. The New Testament calls this grace. What God has done on our behalf, undeserved. You see, that's how the church at Philippi started. Paul and Silas turn up in uh, Philippi. And uh, they start to tell people about Jesus, and as they do that, some things happen. And uh, there's an incident, and what happens is Paul and Silas, very briefly, they end up in prison. They get beaten, they get flogged, they're thrown in prison, and uh, it seems that everything is going wrong. And they're in there at the cell, the inner cells, uh, in the middle of the night, they're probably, they're in chains, and uh, they're singing and worshipping God. What a remarkable couple of guys. They're really, they're not bothered by what's happened, but they're singing, they're worshipping God. And then suddenly there's an earthquake. The doors all break open because of the earthquake and their chains fall off. And all the prisoners are released. And the, and the, the prison jailer, probably, he's not going to be a nice character. This would have been a really tough, rough character. He wouldn't have been particularly kind he realizes, he looks in, he thinks, oh, the doors are open, the prisoners are gone, and he, he goes, he's about to commit suicide because he knows he's going to die because it's his fault. He's responsible for these men. And Paul calls out and he says, don't do anything. 
And the jailer comes in and all the prisoners are around with Paul and Silas. Paul is no doubt telling them about Jesus. And the Philippian jailer is so impacted, so shocked by what uh, he's seen, is he says, what must I do to be saved? Do you hear that? What must I do? I've, I've got to do something. What do I do to be saved? The answer is absolutely mind-blowing. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You don't have to do anything. You need to believe in Jesus and what he has done for you. That is the gospel. The Philippian jailer did nothing but receive the grace of God. We all need saving. That is the gospel. But Jesus Christ has come and died on our behalf. He's taken the punishment that was rightfully ours because we've lived independently of God, lived without reference to him, lived for ourselves, turned our back on the God who made us and created us. Jesus took the punishment for our, our the Bible calls sin, and he took it on himself, and instead God has punished him and given us Jesus is righteousness. What an incredible thing. All we need to do is believe on Jesus and we're saved. That is the gospel. It's shocking. But you see, the first way we are going to play our part is we need to live out the gospel. This is what it says in Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. I want you to understand, this is not so much about what we do, and you're going to see this in a moment as we unpack it. You see, Paul's challenge to himself and to the church in Philippi is to constantly realign ourselves with the gospel. Tim Keller says this, the gospel is the way we grow. It's the solution to each problem, the key to each closed door, the power through every barrier. All our problems come from a failure to apply the gospel. Martin Luther similarly said it was important, and he said, we know it well, we teach it to others, and we beat it into our heads continually. We constantly need to realign ourselves with the gospel. It's like a a magnet. You've got all these iron filings, and suddenly you put a magnet in the middle, and they all realign themselves. We need to realign ourselves constantly, every day, with the gospel. You see, because we all face challenges, And if we're going to do that, the first thing we need to be, if we're going to live out the gospel, we need to be Christ-centered. Paul says this in chapter 3, I consider everything a loss. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's what we do by our efforts. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Everything a loss. You see, we all face challenges. Our health, that of loved ones, we've been hearing that this morning. We have difficult family or work situations. Things don't work out. Deeply unhappy experiences. Some of them are to do with things that mistakes we've made. 
But sometimes it's what others have done to us and we had no control over them. For others, it's financial pressures. The issues are long and varied. And Paul is saying every day we need to consider these things a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. He's worth it. The Bible says God loves us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God says he's with us. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to us. That is a staggering verse. The God who created the heavens and the earth longs to be gracious to you. He's yearning to be gracious to you. That is incredible. God yearning, longing to be gracious to you. What an incredible verse. You see, my struggle starts when I wake up and it lasts till I go to sleep. You see, as soon as I take my eyes off Jesus, I turn away from the gospel. You remember Peter as he's, uh, he's walking out towards Jesus on the water in Matthew uh, chapter 14. And he says, Jesus, if it's you walking on the water, can I walk to you? This is what happens. And Jesus says, yes. So Peter gets out of the boat. The wind and the waves are high. When he was in the boat, the wind and the waves were high. Nothing changes. He gets out of the boat. The wind and the waves are high. He sees Jesus. He starts to walk towards him. He's walking on the water. And then suddenly he looks at the wind and the waves. And he starts to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus saves him. We need saving every day. Because every day, we're like that. We get up and we go, Jesus, I'm going to live today for you. And then by lunchtime, something's kicked off. And we are really revved up and we're really agitated and we're anxious. We take our eyes off Jesus and we're like Peter. We start to sink. And in that moment, we need to realign ourselves with the gospel. Jesus, save me. We need to look to him. Let me give you an illustration. My dad was killed in a car accident when I was 27. Before Christmas, we got my son a car. He needed it for his placement in university. He needs to travel from Canterbury to Whitstable. So we get in this car. He hasn't driven for four years. He's, he drives for about a, a week. And me and Annie are sitting next to him as he's as he's getting used to the car again. And he goes off, and uh, he drives back, but he drives back to Canterbury via Brighton. And what's, what, do you know what's going through my heart? Oh, God, no, I hope he's going to be safe. I hope nothing happens to him. See, I've got history. That, that history, I remember the phone call. I remember what it felt like to get a phone call. My dad had been killed in a car, so I know what it felt like. So I'm starting to get anxious, starting to think, oh, no, I hope he's going to be okay. I, 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 I'm like, I start to sink. It's like I'm starting to go under the water. And then this week I, I read this verse, which is so helpful. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Psalm 94, verse 19. When anxiety was great within me. I love the Bible. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't say you don't, it, 
It doesn't say you're wrong to be anxious. It says when anxiety was great within me. When anxiety was great, it was great within me. Your consolation brought joy to my soul. You see, I needed, and that's what I did. I turned my eyes to Jesus, fixed my eyes on Jesus. The circumstances didn't change, but something in my heart started to realign. The gospel magnet, the grace of God, started to realign my heart with him. And slowly, the anxieties drifted. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's talking about being saved. So when we, the Bible talks about being saved, we are saved. It talks about us being saved and it says one day we will be saved. So there's three tenses. So we're saved, we're being saved, and one day we will finally be saved when Jesus comes back. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's talking about what it means to be a follower of his. And uh, he uses this Old Testament picture. The Old Testament people of God, they've been, uh, they've been rubbish, they've been grumbling, moaning, and uh, snakes come and start biting them. And they're poisonous, and uh, the whole point is that they turn back to God. And so Moses lifts up this snake this bronze image of a snake on a stick, and all they have to do was look at the snake and they'll be okay. They'll be healed. All they had to do. And some of them won't look. Some of them will not look. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. All it takes is a look. That's all it takes. It's the grace of God. It just takes a look. You look to him. And the reason I think it says it uses the image of a serpent is because what what Moses was saying, what Jesus was saying, it's actually about acknowledging you need saving. It's acknowledging that actually I need help. You're crying out, God, help me. God, save me. So whatever it is, look to him. Why is it we take so long to do it? Difficult relational situations. When I've had loved ones close to me die, my lowest ebb, as I eventually start to center in on Jesus, my perspective changes. The NHS website, I was looking at an NHS website this week because I was thinking about travel sickness. And when you feel travel sick, One of the bits of advice on the NHS website is to focus on something that's not moving. When everything's going wrong around me and everything seems to be kicking off and I'm starting to, oh my word, I don't know what I'm going to do, I look to Jesus because he is the same yesterday, today and forever. He never moves. And as I do that, I start, my balance starts to come back. We focus on Jesus Christ. If we're, going to, if we're going to live out the gospel, we also need to live grace-filled lives. And so very quickly, Paul says this in verse 7, all of you sharing God's grace with me. You see, living out the gospel means living in the grace of God. Is our joy and contentment found in God's grace towards us, or is it all in our circumstances? Is it in our feelings? 
Is it based on how others treat us? You see, too often we start out in grace but end up trying to to make it by our own efforts. Paul says we're foolish when we do that. Sometimes there's a DIY task and someone will say to me, do you need a hand? And I go, oh, no, no, I, I think I'll be all right. Now, when I say, when someone says to me, I'm doing DIY, and someone says, do you want a hand? The truth is, I always need a hand. <laughs> but inside I go, oh, no, no, I, I don't want to put them out. I think I'll be okay. I'm never okay. <laughs> really not. Annie knows that. The person who's asking the question knows that. The foolish person is me, in my heart. We all do it. We know prayer is important. And yet we're reluctant to ask for prayer. How many times have you left a Sunday morning with big issues in your heart, in your life, and there's been an opportunity for prayer and you've walked out the door and gone home? I've done it. And I'm sure many of you have done it too. We are all like that. We try to cope by ourselves. When we do, when we try to cope by ourselves, we step out of the grace of God. Because we can't solve it ourselves. We can't cope. We need him. We need to receive grace. We need to come to the well and drink from him as we were hearing this morning. That's why we pray. That's why we're having a prayer week. This prayer week is not ostensibly about meetings. We're not trying to get people to come to a load of meetings. But we're trying to stir you to pray. Because when you pray, you come to a well of grace. You come to a throne of grace where there is grace and mercy to help you in your time of need. We're trying to encourage you to pray. We're trying to, as a church, stir ourselves together to pray. So as we gather to pray tonight, we're coming expecting that God's going to answer prayer because he longs to be gracious to us. You see, we need to receive God's grace. God wants us to be respectful, loving, and honoring of people, whether they deserve it or not, because that's how he treats undeserving people like us. We need to be grace-filled. But we also need to be those who worship. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. What about you? Do you love worship? Do you love worshiping God? If we live out the gospel, worship marks us. Now, our worship and tech teams do a great job for us. But worship isn't all about singing songs. That's part of it. It's much more than that. I love worshiping God whether I'm singing out of tune like you heard this morning, whether I'm praying, whether I'm reading my Bible, whether I'm working, whether I'm relaxing, whether I'm enjoying the privilege of listening to John Groves as he preaches, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's all an act of worship. And in Romans chapter 12, it says this, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Everything you do, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's grace, offer your body, every, all of your lives to him. 
as an act of worship. It means living, living out the gospel means it's outworked when we're on our own, at home or work or when we gather together. I mean, I'm going to comment on this because I've, I've just noticed over the years we get a little lethargic about gathering to worship. I call it the miracle of the second song. And the miracle of the second song is, I close my eyes in the first song and there's hardly anyone here. At the end of the second song, I open them and oh, wow, everybody's here. Miracle of the second song. Now, there are all sorts of good reasons in the centre of Winchester. Busyness, finding parking spaces, something happening on a Sunday morning that we're not expecting, all sorts of that. But I want to ask us to check our hearts that the real root isn't that we've lost our passion for the gospel, our passion to come and worship Jesus. We're to be those who, to, who live out the gospel. So if we're going to play our part, we have to live out the gospel. But the second way we play our part is by partnering in the gospel. Now, Paul says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And Paul's partnership with the Philippian church was based in the gospel. The partnership in the gospel was based on relationship. You see, they shared a history together. It resulted in deep affection, mutual affection for each other. Not everyone in the church knew Paul. Not everyone in the church had met him. But they loved him and his team. Equally, Paul, as we read through Philippians, you read the letter, you see he has a love for the church, just as the church loves him. And his desire is that they stand together for the gospel. Paul loves them. Lots of you will have never met Guy Miller. Lots of you will be thinking even now, who's Guy Miller? Guy Miller heads up commission, the, heads up the family of churches that we are part of. But I want to tell you that Guy personally has a long history with us as a church. He was an elder here for many years. We have a place in his heart. He values us deeply. He prays for us regularly. I know he does. The only one of the reasons that I'm here leading the church at this time is because, because Guy, God spoke to him in the process and God spoke about it. A prophetic word is part of the reason why I'm here. See, I'm committed to partnering with Guy as the rest of the leaders here. We're part of this commissioned family of churches. We share history together. But we also share life. See, Paul prays for the church. The church prays for Paul. You read through Philippians, you see that happens. John, tonight at the prayer meeting, we're going to pray for something of the bigger picture, what it means to be part of a family of churches. It's important. It helps us keep our eyes on God's great plan and stops us getting too introverted. It's another reason why West Point and New Day are so important. West Point is where we gather with that family of churches down in Exeter once a year, August Bank Holiday Weekend. It's a great time. But part of it is about the bigger picture and making sure that we make sure our focus is good. It's why they, our youngsters go to New Day, our teens go to New Day with uh, thousands of other young people from other churches. I am forever grateful for the legacy of that because that legacy runs on for years and years and years and years. My son went to New Day. 
It impacted his life. He is now taking young people to New Day from the church that he goes to in Canterbury with a team there. And the legacy goes on and on and on. We share life. We partner together in the gospel. Partnership also involves sharing people. You see, people don't belong to churches. They belong to God. And when you read through this letter of Philippians, what you see is Paul hopes to send Timothy to Philippi. Timothy's like a son to him. Timothy actually has a genuine interest for the church in Philippi, and he actually just mirrors Paul's heart. He's got Paul's heart. The church sends a guy called Epaphroditus to be with Paul, we read about in chapter 2. And they send him to make up for the help that they can't give. There's a sending, there's a going, there's a coming. People don't belong to anyone. They belong to God. And when we begrudge sending people or seeing people move to be part of the bigger picture, something is deeply wrong in our DNA. And God needs to do some surgery on our hearts. We need to let people well, even if they don't do it particularly well. And yet, but if God is stirring you up to move, let me encourage you to do it well. So when Ellie Cross went to Zambia, she met with Annie and myself. We met in the King's Head in Hursley. We sat down and Ellie said, she said to us something along the lines of, I really want to know what you think. I feel God speaking to me about this. But if you don't think it's the right thing to do, I, I need to know that you think it's the right thing for me to do as well. She's not asking for me to tell her what to do, but she's looking for some resonance. She's looking for some advice. What a great attitude. As a church, we have sent many. Dave Thompson, who was an elder here when I came here. Dave is now leading the church in Chichester. He went and he's now took it over this week. Amazing. Dave Lockyer, one of the elders here. He's now leading the church Junction Church, doing really, really well in Eastleigh. Amazing. Chris Kilby, down in Life Church Southampton, doing really well. We share people. But we also, if we partner in the gospel, we share provision. See, the church at Philippi was a great support base for Paul. Giving was part of them, part of their DNA. When he set out from Macedonia, the Philippian church were the only church that supported him. They sent him, Paul says, help again and again. And it wasn't based on how much they had. You can read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first two verses. Now, God has blessed us in the center of Winchester. He has blessed us with this amazing facility. The story about how we are here is an incredible story that goes back many, many, many years. Back to Greg Haslund's time, through John's time, and into these latter years. It's an incredible facility. But it's here to serve the city. You see, our investment into this building is just part of our ministry. It's about us serving the city. If you were here last Friday, you would have seen it was, there, were, there were mums and kids and helpers all over this ground floor. And at the same time, we've got a big meeting in terms of a commission meeting upstairs. We've been able to do that because of the work we've done to the building. It was full on on Friday, and and those who were serving us did an amazing job to make it happen. People like uh, Pam and Mike Burningham and and the others, Linda Hales, they did a great job afterwards. But as part of our ministry, 
to the city. You see, if we were to try and hire a place like this in the center of Winchester, it's going to cost us it's going to cost us 150 to 200,000 pounds a year to do it. God has given this to us. Amazing. It's amazing. As a church, we give 11% of our income away. And in terms of support for commission, that means we uh, uh, invest in commission through John and what we give, around about £50,000 a year. We run cap. We uh, pay to run cap for the, for the good of the city. It costs us in excess of £25,000 a year. I want to encourage us as a church to continue to be generous and partner in the gospel. Let's be committed to sharing our resources, whether that be in terms of our energy and serving in the church, whether it be tea and coffee or helping at the ark, whether it be giving. And, there are, I, I, and if you're part of the church here and you give, thank you so much for partnering with us for this partnership in the gospel. And if you're looking at joining us, I want to encourage you, come on, partner with us, join with us. Let me encourage you to be generous. The final way we can play our part is by being committed to declaring the gospel. This is what Paul says. You stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. The church in Philippi, Paul urged them to shine like stars as they held out the word of life. Paul is, his, is in chains himself for preaching the gospel. We heard last week that commission, the Commission Family of Churches are committed to seeing thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. And when we see successes in other churches, we rejoice with them. It brings us joy. When they're being successful in the gospel, we're joyful. I was thrilled to be talking to Dave Lockyer just before Christmas, and they'd seen uh, uh, three uh, people from Punjabi backgrounds coming to faith in Christ. I just thought, oh, pray to baptize them. Hallelujah. That is brilliant. Dave, Dave Locker and Amber are outstanding couple. God is doing something with them. God bless them. That's brilliant. I get so excited about that. And as a church, everything we do has to be about communicating the gospel. Our vision statement says this. Our desire is to build a grace-filled community of Jesus followers, bringing good news to Winchester and beyond. God loves the people that we live amongst. The gospel is the answer to each and everyone's deepest need. There isn't a life that Jesus cannot change. There isn't a life that Jesus cannot change. When our team on Thursday nights are out serving soup to the homeless of Winchester. I know that the battle is, moments, are we making any difference? There isn't a life that Jesus cannot change. When our cat team go out and they're investing in people's lives and they come across people in a a mess, it just seems how on earth they get. There is not a life that Jesus cannot change. It's the gospel. Our desire is to show people the love of God. It takes many forms. Soup service Christmas meal. 
They were 60, I tell you, it was the most moving things. The, the team catering for them had done a, an amazing job. The team serving them. Tables beautifully laid out. People got some of them. Some of them were, were, were high on drugs and, and whatever. But I tell you, they were, I tell you, you just felt the love of God there. Really, they really appreciated it. It gave them a big rap. They gave their, the team a round of applause at the end. Amazing. They were grateful for the hand of God being shown to, to them. When we run CAP, we, we're looking to start a release group at the moment, which is gathering people with a view to uh, uh, gathering people who've got uh, problems with addictions. And we're, we're looking to gather to try and help them take a step forward because there isn't a life that Jesus cannot change. We believe it's true. At the ark, they, the ladies in the ark, I want to tell you, the team that served the ark, they put in hours of hard work. And they do it. Why do they do it? They do it to serve the city because they believe that Jesus is the answer and there is, they believe there isn't a life that Jesus cannot change for good. You see, our passion for the gospel means we're committed to the people where we live and we work. And the root is that God loved us unconditionally even when we weren't interested in him. So if people out there aren't interested, actually we were like that once. And God never gave up on us. That is the gospel. We're committed to sharing the gospel in a culturally relevant way. We don't want to be whacking people over the head with Bibles. Alpha has been gathering momentum amongst us over this last year. Steve Lee and his team, have, they've done a great job. There's a great atmosphere in our Alpha at the moment. Alpha is an opportunity for people to come and ask the questions that they want uh, about Jesus in an unthreatening environment. It's a great environment. There's a great buzz about it. It's gone really well. And I want to say to you, we need to, it's there for us to invite people to come along. Just like that 13-year-old girl, Amelia, who prayed for her brother. Just like the mum who prayed for her son. Just like Albert McMakin, who all he did was invite someone to come. In the end, God's in control. It's not about us making people do anything. But it's about giving them the opportunity. And it's, it's about relationship. We don't do it without our relationship, we're talking to people, we build, we love people, we're not doing it because, for, for, and then we're doing it because we love people. And if they don't come, we'll still love them. Doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. We love them because God loves them, irrespective of how they respond. That is the gospel. Be thinking about Alpha as it comes up. Steve Lee's going to be preaching next week. It's going to be a great opportunity to bring people along just to catch a flavour next week if, if you've got friends who would like to come. So what does playing our part look like? looks a little like this. See it on the screen behind. Some of you will have seen it many times before. Creating culture. It's about being a church where the culture is Christ-centred, grace-filled, worshipping, word and spirit people. 
It's about being a church where we're building community in and outside the church and where we're communicating the gospel by what we say and what we do. That's what we are. So everything that we do needs to have those components. Some are going to be a, going to be a little bit more weighted to certain parts than others. But it needs to have those. And, and when those three overlap, overlap, that's the sweet spot where the culture is Christ-centered, where it's full of community that's built around Christ-centered people. And that's where the gospel's most effective. When I came here, I had a prophetic word. Someone prophesied over me and they said this. The essence of it was this. When you go, you will have the opportunity, because you're going to lead the church, to pray for people and minister to people. And this person said this, you will have, you'll have two choices. You will either prop them up or you'll give them the gospel. And this morning, I don't want to prop any of you up. I don't want to go there, 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 there. I want to say, Jesus Christ is the answer. Whatever the issue, Jesus Christ is the answer. The circumstances may not change, but I tell you, as you focus in on him, when everything else seems to be spinning, he's the one that will bring stability to your heart. I'll finish with this. Matt Chandler says this in his book, The Explicit Gospel. The marker of those who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when they stumble and fall, when they screw up, they run to God and not from him. Because they clearly understand that their acceptance before God is not uh, predicated upon their behavior, but on the righteous life of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. That's the gospel. We're going to sing together one last song, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel, to the grace of God, to Jesus Christ. I don't want to say to you, if you know that you need, you're sitting here thinking, I need need God to break through in a situation. Maybe you know you need prayer. We've got a prayer team who'll be ready to pray. And if there's too many people, it doesn't work, we'll make it work. Maybe you know you're facing some difficult decisions. The answer is Jesus Christ coming to him. And so we're going to stand to worship. Let's stand together. And as we worship him, I want us, if you know you need breakthrough, you know... Maybe you've lost your passion for the gospel. Maybe you've got caught up in performance-related stuff. And you just want to say to God, God, I want to put that right this morning. Maybe this morning you want to, you know, you want to take that step. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, just like the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? What must I do? Believe. I want to do that this morning. I want to believe. If, you want, if that's you, we'd love to pray with you. But if you know you need prayer, you want, uh, you're looking for an answer to pray, what, maybe God's spoken to you in any way, we would love to pray with you. So during this song, why don't you come forward and then afterwards we'll get people to pray. It doesn't matter how many respond, but let me encourage you, don't miss out on...